0: Didn't seem like too many of you here were here to uh, enjoy worship practice this morning, but, but uh, I hope you, you got a little extra sleep, and um, I, I hope you had a good week. I hope uh, you were able to get to interact with some of your neighbors and, and uh, folks on Thursday night on Halloween. I know I enjoyed being a part of our... Um, Get together over at Patrick and Lori Grace's this week and it was it was a lot of fun getting to be together but also to to meet some new folks who live Right here around our church campus and uh, it was special to me One of my favorite things about Skillman about our church is the way that we love one another uh, It was one of the things that instantly Attracted me uh, to the church when I started to meet some folks from here. And really, I I noticed right off the bat that this is a church that truly cares about one another, that is involved in each other's lives, knows what's going on and is there to meet needs, to really walk through life together. I love that. One of the ways that Lexi and I have experienced this personally was uh, after the birth of our daughter, Sydney, a lot, of, a lot of you brought meals to our home, and it was, it was quite a blessing to us. As those of you who have children know, when you have that first one, it is a radical change in your life. And you barely make it through the day, much less think about cooking dinner. So it was such a, a, a blessing to, to have that taken care of. And it was a way that we felt very loved and, and uh, blessed by the church but I know that, that I'm not the only one who has experienced the love that is here in this community. I know that uh, a lot of you have experienced that. And, and I, I just find it a, to be a tremendous blessing to be a pastor of a church that really does love one another. Loving one another is actually one of the most important things that we are called to do as a church Jesus himself said this in John 13, 34 through 35. He said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we want to truly follow Jesus, if we want to be disciples, and we want that to make a difference in our lives, we have to love one another. And... In, in some ways, this morning's sermon is, is kind of a reminder or an encouragement to do what I see our church already doing. So it's, it's really nice that I get to preach this in a way where it's not like, okay, we're not doing this, so we've got to get there. It's like more of a, hey, keep it up kind of message. And really, I have one thing that I want to challenge us to do, and that's to just continue to love one another, to continually care for one another. So let's pray. We'll uh, sing a song and we'll be done really early this morning. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to clap at that. But in all actuality, I do have some more things planned. Sorry to bust, bust that bubble. But uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 this morning. And I, like I said, the, the main thing I want us to take away today is that we, we have to just continue to keep loving one another, to continue caring for one another. But I think that Peter has really three things to say to us in light of that. First of all, I think he answers the question, why should the church continually care for one another? Secondly, what should we do as we continually care for one another? And third, what is our goal as we continually care for one another? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and flip with me to 1 Peter 4. We'll be in verse, verses 7 through 11. If you need one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And uh, I'm going to pray real quick before we read, and then we'll stand as we read. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be back um, here together worshiping you this morning. Um, It is such a delight for me to get together with my friends, my brothers and sisters, to sing your praises, to acknowledge that, that this morning as we've sung that life is difficult and it is so very hard But we have come to know that you are the greatest gift that we've ever received. That through your son, um, we have come to know you. And and in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggles and difficulty, you are faithful and you are good. Thank you for that. I, I ask that you would guide our time this morning, Lord. That you would speak what you want us to hear through me today. You gotta pray for clarity. I pray for um, accuracy as I handle the Word this morning. I, I ask that you would come and, and minister, to, minister to our hearts through your Word this morning, and I trust that you're going to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we read First Peter 4, 7 through 11. Verse 7, it says this, The end of all things is at hand, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So the first question that I I mentioned a moment ago was, why should the church continually care for one another? And Peter answers that right off the bat in verse 7. He starts out and he says, The end of all things is at hand. So his point is basically, listen, we're, we're in the last stage of God's redemptive plan, and Christ is coming back soon. Actually, that could happen at any moment. So if you're like me, you probably struggle to live life with an awareness of this truth, that Christ could literally come back right now, this moment, while we're sitting here reading his Word together. I ignore the fact that it could happen today. And as a result, I often live my life with kind of just this lack of urgency, this kind of, oh, I'll get to that later kind of attitude. Well, Peter understood that we are prone to have this sort of peacetime mentality towards life. And so he starts off by saying, listen, the end of all things is at hand. You don't have an, an, an indefinite amount of time. Don't grow slack. This is not a time for relaxing and putting off, becoming who we are called to be and doing what we're called to do at all. Life is short. Christ is coming soon. And that's the answer to that question. So why should we do this? Why should we continually care for one another? Because Christ is coming soon. And we want to be found faithful. We want to be found servant, as servants who are doing His will when He comes. So that's important for us to understand, but it's also important for us to know what are we supposed to do as we continually care for one another? What does that look like? And he answers that question in the rest of the passage. He really gives us, I would say, four things throughout these verses that we're called to do as we, as we love one another, as we care for one another. In verse 7, after saying the end of all things is at hand, he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So he says, therefore, meaning because Christ is coming soon, in light of that, in light of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What does it mean to be self-controlled? It really means that we don't just pursue every appetite that we have without regard for how that affects the Lord, how that affects others, what he, what he desires from us, but it means that we submit those things to Christ and we follow the leading of the Spirit in our lives, not just doing whatever it is that we want to do. Because as you, as you know and have you, as you have experienced, either from doing it yourself or somebody else doing it, when we just follow our own appetites and desires, we wreak a trail of destruction. And he says, so be self-controlled. And then he says, be sober-minded, which basically means have a sound mind. Keep your head on straight. Remember what is true. Remember that you are living in this time of the end, when Christ could come back at any time. And he adds, with that, he says, Be, "Do all of these things for the sake of your prayers." And and I think he says that because he knows that that his readers, we we as we've as we've journeyed with. Peter through this book, we see that they're living in difficult times where they're suffering and they're being persecuted. He knows that if they're going to stay faithful to Christ and to one another in this mission to love one another, that that's going to take supernatural strength and provision. And so he says, You need to think straight, you need to be self controlled so that you can stay dependent upon the Lord in prayer. You need the Spirit or you're not going to make it. And so the first thing that we should do as we continually care for one another is pray with an alert mind. Pray with an alert mind. If you're like me, you easily become distracted. Like, I can't pray sitting down in a chair with my eyes closed for more than about 30 seconds. Uh, I don't know if if you struggle with this, but I have to walk. Like, I have to get outside and go walk if I'm going to pray for more than a, a couple of minutes. And so... It's, 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 it's important for us to know like it, we have got to find a way to be committed in prayer. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you can sit there with a cup of coffee and, and you can pray for a good amount of time. But it's important that we find ways to connect with the Lord and stay dependent upon Him. And it may be throughout the day in little spurts, but it's good for, for us to find what works for us to be able to really connect with the, with the Lord in that way so that we're found faithful when Christ returns. But Peter moves on to the second thing we should do in verse 8. He says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I really appreciate this kind of writing. Peter just answers the question, like, you know, sometimes when you read something, you're like, well, what's the main thing that I'm supposed to take away from this? What's your big point? And he says that right here, above all. Here it is, love one another. Love is the most important thing that you can do. In in our New Testament reading we read earlier that Jenny read for us, Romans 13, 8 and 9, Paul says this, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Peter agrees with Paul, and Jesus, by the way, that's where they both got this from, in that when we love one another and we focus on that, those other things that we're not supposed to do kind of get taken care of. When we make it our aim to treat other people the way that God has treated us and the way we want to be treated, those other things we don't really have to be as concerned about because when we're loving somebody, we don't do those other things. And Peter also had another verse in mind, the, the verse that we read in our Old Testament reading, Proverbs 10, 12, which says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Peter knows that when we choose to respond in love towards one another, regardless of how somebody's treat, treated us, and especially in the moments when we've been wronged or offended, when we choose to love, it puts that sin that they've committed, it puts this potential, uh, really this, this deteriorating cancer that can happen when we start to react to one another in, in in you know, in, in uh, wanting to get even or to get back at one another. He knows that when we choose to respond in love, it puts that thing to death. And so... he encourages us to focus on loving one another because he knows that's the way, that's the path towards peace being maintained in the church, in the community of believers. So the second answer to what we should do as we continually care for one another is provide love to one another with an ardent heart. To provide love to one another with an ardent heart. This is our primary calling towards one another. I would, I would say, say this with confidence, that you and I are never more like Christ that when, than when we choose to love others regardless of how they treat us. I would say that's probably the most Christ-like character trait that we could have as believers because that's exactly who he is and exactly what he did. But it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Even within this own room there may be somebody that you have a hard time loving. There may be somebody here that's just really different from you. Maybe they get on your last nerve. I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, But there are people that are not easy to love, and God calls us to love them anyway. And that's why I added to the end of that, that, that phrase, provide love to one another with an ardent heart, Because I believe that it means that we have to be persistent in our love for one another. We have to be intentional in our love for one another. Most of us, if not all of us, our kind of go-to mode is to love the people that it's easy to love and kind of just like not hate the ones that it's hard to love. But we're called to actually show love to one another. So this isn't about some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling. This is actually living it out and giving to one another the love that we've received from God. And so we have to actually set our minds to it and make it a point, make it a priority for us. I want everyone to stop and ask yourself two questions right now. This is this is how I think we can apply this in the difficult area. First of all, I want to ask yourself this question. Who do you find hard to love? Maybe it's right here in this room. Maybe it's somebody in your family. But who do you find hard to love? There's probably at least one person who comes to mind. Okay, once you you have that person in your head, here's the second question. You're not going to like this because it's going to put you on the hook. What can you do this very week to actually show love to that very person that you already have in your head? Because that's the kind of love that this is talking about. It's not some passive, I'll get around to it when my heart gets there. This is, I'm going to love that person regardless. And we all have somebody that we can think of that it, that it would be very difficult for us to love in a, in a profound way this week. And I can't think of a better way to invite the Spirit into our lives to supernaturally empower us to do something that we couldn't do on our own. Peter gives us the third thing that he calls us to do in verse 9. Y'all look at that verse with me. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't know about you, but whenever I think of hospitality, I think of primarily two things. I think, first of all, having people over to my house for a meal, serving them food. Or, secondly, having an out-of-town guest stay the night in my home. Those are the, kind of the two main things that I think of when it comes to hospitality. And I think Peter probably very well could have meant those things, but I think he also wanted his readers to open up their homes for Christian worship and for fellowship because the church in their, in their day had to meet in homes. They didn't have buildings like this. And so if you think about it, that was actually a pretty, pretty difficult calling a pretty costly thing for them to do because as we've been reading, they're living in a society that is antagonistic to the church, that is antagonistic to who they are, and so it's kind of a dangerous thing for them to identify themselves, first of all, with the people of Christ, or the bride of Christ, but to then be so identified with it that they're now hosting meetings in their home would be kind of like inviting difficulty to their doorstep. But Peter wants them to trust that God will be faithful and, and, and encourages them to practice hospitality even if it is a dangerous thing. And then he adds that gut punch phrase there. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I really appreciate his honesty, but at the same time, like I'm like, could you not have just left that out because I don't know that I really want to do that. Or that I even, you know, that's just kind of pokes your heart a little bit and you're like, Dang it. I don't know about you, but whenever I have guests in my home, sometimes they annoy me. They really get on your nerves sometimes. And I think that having people in your home really providing for others can be really inconvenient. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people that come over sometimes and they're just really awkward and hard to deal with. And they like just do things in your house that you're like, don't you realize this is not where you live? Like, I said make yourself at home, but I didn't mean that. <laughs> I, think, I think when you think about this whole without grumbling thing, I mean, that's pretty hard. Because really what he's saying is like, when you do this, have a good attitude and don't complain about it. And that's just kind of like a low blow to me. That, that's just like, okay, you got me red-handed. So the third thing I believe Peter calls us to do as we continually care for one another is practice hospitality with one another with an agreeable spirit. Practice hospitality with one another with an agreeable spirit. So here's a question for you. How are you doing in this area? How are you currently practicing hospitality? Are you using what God has blessed you with to bless others? If not, why not? If you are, are you doing it with an agreeable spirit, without grumbling? One of the things that I really want us to hear this morning, and I really believe this, is that God has given you every single thing that you have. He has blessed you with those things so that you would use them to bless others for his glory. Every single thing that God has given you, he has given you so that you would use to bless others. So it doesn't matter how much or how little it is. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's significant or not. God has given it to you as a steward to use for him. I want to encourage each of us to really take some time this week. I want to ask you to pray in in regards to hospitality because it's a big part of loving one another. I I want to encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, what would it look like for me to practice hospitality on a consistent basis in my life? What would that look like? I don't want to tell you what that looks like because for each one of us, that's different. Some of us are single. Some of us are married. Some of us have kids. Some of us don't. Some of us have a big house. Some of us live in a studio apartment. It's going to look different for everybody, but I do know that God's calling you to do it and what it looks like, he will show you. So let's practice hospitality with an agreeable spirit. And then Peter moves on to the fourth and final command in verse 10, and he says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he kind of spells that out a little more in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. I don't know if you caught that, but here's here's something important that he's teaching. Every single believer has received some spiritual gift. God has gifted every single believer... So that means that all of us in this room today, including you, have been gifted with some spiritual gift. And Peter really puts them kind of in two categories. He's got the the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. In verse 11, he, he says that some of us have been given gifts of speaking. That could be things like teaching or maybe the gift of evangelism or even encouragement. Those are things that we use our mouth to bless others. And then others of us have been given gifts of service, things like hospitality or helping or administrative gifts. Those are even spiritual gifts. The most important thing, though, is not what category our gift falls in, but whether or not we are actually using it. Because Peter says here, use use them to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. So God is, is... giving each of us things abilities he's giving us gifts that we're not supposed to just have but we're supposed to use and one of the things I also really like about our church is that this is a church where a lot of people are using their gifts to bless one another and to bless the Lord but I also know that in any any church there are always a few people who have gifts that they're not using And Peter is saying that God has given us gifts to serve one another. And so the question is, am I using my gift? Are you using your gift? Or am I just sitting on it? Kind of just not being a good steward as he calls us to be here. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. All of these gifts that we've been given, they're given by God. They are through him. He provides all of it, and he wants us to be good stewards of that. He wants us to honor him and to not just waste what he's given us. The key to it, I I believe, is appreciating the gifts, seeing it as something that God has gifted us in grace, and knowing that it is our opportunity, really, our privilege to use them. So the fourth fourth thing that I believe Peter calls us to do is to put our gifts to use to serve one another with an appreciative soul. Put your gifts to use to serve one another with an appreciative soul. Now, some of you this morning may be thinking to yourself, I don't know what my gift is. Maybe you took some, like, online spiritual gifts test and it left you more confused than before you started because those things are sometimes really lame. Or maybe... It's just been one of those, those things in life that you just really struggle knowing, like, what, what am I good at? I think the most important thing that you can do to identify your gift is to experiment a little bit. To start to just see what kind of things that you may be interested in and, and find out, am I good at this? Give it a shot. Sometimes the best way to learn is to actually do something. So if you want to know what your gift is, begin trying some on maybe for size. Another great idea, I think, is to ask people who know you well, what do you think God may have given me to bless the church? Because those who know you well sometimes see things that we don't see. They see things in us that we're not able to see. And the third thing I think that you can do if you're having some confusion or you're maybe cloudy about what is my gift is simply to ask God to reveal it to you. I mean, if it says here, which it does, that he gives them to us and he wants us to use them, I think it would be in his interest to show us what it is. You know, that's one prayer that I think we could take to the bank. So let's, let's all, regardless if, if, if you're in a place where you're absolutely crystal clear about your gift... If, if you're there or if you're completely confused, let's all decide that we're going to move in the direction of using our gifts and ask God to give us the grace to know what that looks like and to help us to do that. But the final question that I want to talk about, real quick, before we're done, is the question of what is our, our goal? What is our purpose as we do all of these things? As we continue to love one another, as we continue to care for one another, what is all of this for? Look at the second half of verse 11. Peter closes this this passage or this section with these words. He says, In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter gave us these instructions with this specific goal, that God would be glorified through Christ, that God would be glorified through Christ. So when we continually care for one another and when we love one another, when we show hospitality and we do these things, it's not just so that we can do those things and be excited about that. That's not the end game. The end game is that we're doing all of this for a greater purpose, and that's that God would be glorified. All of life, every single part of it, is for the glory of God. That's why you were made. That's why I was made. That's the purpose of the church. And that, why, that is why it matters so much if we continue to do this. Because God's reputation and his, his glory is magnified. It is shown when we do this. Christ is coming soon. It may not feel like it. We may be able to ignore that reality, but he is coming back, and it could happen at any moment. The question I want to ask is, will we commit ourselves, will you commit yourself to pray with an alert mind, to provide love to one another with an ardent heart, to practice hospitality with one another with an agreeable spirit, and to put your gifts to use to serve one another with an appreciative soul? And not just for the sake of doing those things, but that God may be glorified through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this clear teaching. This is a passage where it's pretty obvious what you're calling us to do, the kind of people you long for us to be. And while it is clear, God, these living this out, being true and faithful to what you've called us to do through Peter's words is a task that is only possible with the supernatural enablement of your spirit and so I ask God that you would help us to leave this place uh, intent and in our minds set on loving one another in these ways and I ask that you would help us to remain dependent upon you that we would not try to do this on our own in our in our, in our flesh, but that we would rely on you. We trust that you will be faithful to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.